I'm Don DeLorente. I'm Dee Dee Janae. I'm Magnum Prime. And we're the host of the WrestleCast. You can catch us right here on the CSPN each and every Friday as we provide your pro wrestling commentary with color. The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. It's been uh it's been a fun week so far, so let's uh World Series in swing. Football going on, let's go. Alright, just to let you know. Know the score can be found on the CSPN. You can find us on the web at www.cspn.us. So, Dwayne, the World Series is here upon us. Last week, we were joined by Nabias. We were, you know, thankful for him to come on, talk some baseball with us. And uh, the World Series showdown of the Dodgers and the Red Sox is here. The one that the Major League Baseball was clamoring for. They got their marquee matchup. Two glamour destinations as far as the baseball world goes. They know they're going to have sellouts, great television ratings as well. Uh-huh. And the Boston Red Sox have held home field advantage and they lead the series two to nothing after an eight to four victory in game one and a four to two victory in game two behind David Price. Look out. He's won two playoff games in a row. So yes. the Red Sox using timely hitting. Um, they got a pinch hit homer in the first game to break that one open. And then uh, my man Dave Martinez. Uh, no, that's not Dave Martinez. That's the manager of the Nationals. Martinez that played for the uh, Astros. Um, uh, JD. JD Martinez, right. He uh, came up big in game two to provide the uh, the go-ahead runs there. So um, I don't know if you got a chance to really dive in deep and watch these games all the way through. But it seems like the Dodgers, you know, have wasted pretty good starting pitching here. They're, you know, they had Kershaw going against Sale. Uh, they got behind 2 nothing really fast, but then they tied it up at 2-2. Two to two and, uh, you know, they were in a game there for a minute. But then, like you said, the pinch hit homer broke it open. And then yeah. game two, David Price was really good. That You know, they got two, but, I mean, he was really good. So, um, your thoughts on just uh, this two games so far and now with the scene shifting over to L.A., are the Dodgers in trouble of getting swept, or do you think they bounce back here in Game 3? Well, I think the Dodgers need – that's the best thing for the Dodgers right now is the fact that they're going home, and it is a 0-2 deficit. But the Red Sox have just been a juggernaut all season long. They've been – this is a team that won 108 games. And, and I think this is a team that – is ready for anything. And I also, I think though, with the whole, um, 
timely hitting is really that's what it really been boiling down to. Uh, you know, getting those timely hits, getting those moments where they have a chance to um, bust the game wide open. They definitely did that in game one. And David Price, I mean, much maligned throughout his career. I mean, he hasn't shown up in October. We've seen what's happened to him in October. But he's put up the last two starts in the ALCS and the World Series. He has come up big when the lights have been on bright. And I'm really impressed by by that. But now, you know, the... The Red Sox are a great road team. The Dodgers are back at home. Uh, I see them getting at least maybe two. I want to say the series ends at Fenway. It would not surprise me, though, if the Red Sox take it in a sweep or five games, but I think the Dodgers can bounce back. They can get two out of three, uh, especially if they start Walker Buehler in the next two games. Uh, he's been lights out. I think he's got the stuff to keep the Dodgers alive, especially for a rookie of 21. He's got ice water in his veins. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in this next, uh, few games here at Dodger Stadium. I want to say three at Dodger Stadium. So, uh, cause that's a two, three, two. So we'll just have to see what happens and, and go from there. Yeah, hopefully, you know, if all they have to do is just get one. Once they get one win at home, you know, get the good mojo going, they'll at least get an extra game back in Boston to try to do something. So, you know, they can they can possibly get some mojo behind them. They just got to be able to get to their bullpen with the lead. I think if they can get to their bullpen with the lead, then they might have a pretty good shot and uh, win in two out of these next three at least. So, be on the lookout for that and like i said if you're a big fan of the world series or playoff baseball don't turn the tv off before the sixth inning because the game doesn't really start until like the sixth seventh eighth ninth innings that's when all the excitement usually starts to happen so Dwayne, we'll move over to the nba where last friday night we had some fisticuffs Tempers flared between the Rockets and the Lakers, and then that led to some punches exchanged between Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo. So this has been like a ten-year, apparently ten-year grudge match in the making between Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo. And uh, the big thing that came out of this was not Brandon Ingram being the instigator, pushing James Harden and, and making everybody come together, and then sliding in like Kermit Washington when. Uh, LeBron James had Chris Paul held back trying to get a cheap shot in. It was all about whether if Rajon Rondo spit on Chris Paul, which led to these punches being exchanged between the two. So in super duper high definition slow-mo, it looks like Rajon Rondo may have did what we used to call a skeet spit where you kind of just, you know, push it out between your teeth and you don't really hawk back. And it may have caught Chris Paul on the nose. Rajon Rondo is disputing that, of course, saying that, hey, look at everybody around. Nobody's reacting like I did anything that vile or, or, you know, disrespectful. So Chris Paul's, you know, a liar. So they've been having a back and forth in the press for the last week. Did you see this live? And if you didn't, what was your immediate reaction once you did see it? And, you know, these two guys landing pretty significant punches on each other. 
Well, I did see it live, and I was, I was, um, it was surprising. I mean, we saw, we saw all the Kinston, North Carolina come out of Brandon Ingram, um, in that whole sequence. I think Ingram was just frustrated over the fact that he's, um, he was guarding James Harden most of the night, wasn't getting a lot of calls against him, and James Harden was doing James Harden things, and, and Ingram just lost it, and that's where the push came in. And then, then he got in the referee's face, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Rondo and Chris Paul, and you know, Chris Paul, you know, apparently at first when we when we look at it, it's like Chris Paul uh, has been the guy who gets away with a lot of stuff, and you know, he flashes that smile, that that salesman smile, which allows him to get away with everything, which infuriates a lot of people. Like, a lot of people have been um, on the Chris Paul over the years. And Rajon Rondo has been one of those people who have been on the Chris Paul and the shenanigans over the years. But I think the, the Chris Paul, like, even when he just reading – uh, certain quotes uh, from his brother, you know, he said, Chris doesn't really fight. So something really had to trigger him to get to that point. And, and so, you know, I think the whole, like you said, the whole, um, the whole ski spit might have happened, um, you know, where it was unintentional, it looked like, but, you know, it still happened. And, and I think that's why Rhonda was, pretty upset about the fact that, you know, he's getting accused of me of spitting on him, but, you know, might have been just one of those accidental things and it and it just reacted. And now, you know, Ingram got the four game, Rondo got the three game, Paul got the two games. Uh but I can't wait till these two teams meet again in Houston on December thirteenth on TNT and and um, you know, is it still going to be bad blood? Are they going to be able to get the game? Are they going to be able to be in the same building at the same time, on the court at the same time, without any trouble? Um, we just have to wait and see and and um, watch that game and see how all the elements in this situation uh, work out. And I can't wait for that. It was very shocking to actually see them come to blows because, you know, in the last, you know, decade, 15 years or so, we've been kind of conditioned to see guys, you know, they come together, they hug, they push, they curse. You know, somebody may throw a finger in somebody's face, but, you know, they don't really do nothing. You know, but, you know, all of a sudden, man, it was just like uh, 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 some talking, a mush. And then next thing you know, Rondo was like, bang, <laughs> and it was on. Right. And it was on. And Brandon Ingram is very lucky that that punch didn't do more damage than it did to Chris Paul. Because, yeah, he probably would have got 15 or 20. Like, if Chris Paul would have got knocked down with that punch or bloodied with that punch. Oh man, it could have really been bad for him. So he's very fortunate. And uh, like I said, that was very reminiscent of 
uh, fight between the Rockets and the Lakers back in the day where um, Kermit Washington hit Rudy Tomjanovich and literally shattered his face into his right. basketball career, almost killed him. So, right. yeah, so definitely it'll be musty TV when they match up again. Um, you know, it might be like uh, WCW wrestling where all of a sudden they're doing the pregame. We got to go to the back. There's an altercation in the back. Right. <laughs> and you know, and you know, they close, they close the tunnel at Stable Center. So Chris Paul could go through there anymore. So. <laughs> uh, because of his last visit to Staples. So right. there's that. Right, right, right. So. Yeah, we'll be definitely have our eyes on the next time that they get together. Um, let's talk about the Lakers. They finally got their first win last night. Uh, Luke Walton had to show a little bit of, uh, fire and emotion to get his guys to play with some fire and emotion. They're kind of with Ingram out, you know, experimenting with a new lineup with, uh, Kuzma, uh, playing in his spot. Yeah. And so, uh, they're one in three to start the season. Um, it looks like outside shooting is going to be their biggest woe so far, you know, in this early season. They're moving the ball pretty well. Alonzo Ball, Alonzo Ball's, you know, doing his thing at point guard, you know, he's shooting a lot better. At least his form looks a lot better, but they're not consistent as far as, um, you know, their starters hitting three pointers around LeBron. Josh Hart's played pretty well off the bench. A lot of people are calling for him to start. But, you know, uh, Caldwell Pope is still holding that position down. So what do you see so far? I know it's only four games, a very small sample size for this Lakers team. But do you agree with me? It kind of, you know, uh, my assessment of, of the holes that they've got in this first part of the season. Well, I, I do see I do see a lot of holes, but I do see a lot of uh, potential, a lot of great things that are coming out uh, from this team. I mean, they. They did have they did have a um, tough um, opener on the road on the well on the road. It wasn't really the fact that well Portland's had their number. I mean, this is before LeBron joined the team, but missed, uh, Portland got a lot of help from Nick Stauskas in that opener with those seven threes that he had. I think nobody was expecting that to happen. Uh, and along with uh, McCollum and Lillard, of course, you know, the usual suspects. And uh, Portland got that opening night win. Uh, I think that was just the unexpected performance of Stauskas. Because uh, that, that game was back and forth. It was very close to start out with, um, you know, watching that. And then watching the Rockets game, again, it was, you know, they were in the game. Again, but you know it's going to take time to gel, and seeing that happen with um, you know James Harden really taking over, showing why he was the MVP of last season, and taking over on the big stage, and of course you had the brawl that kind of took the wind out the sail towards the end of the game. Uh, this and then the Spurs game on. Saturday, where it went to overtime, high-scoring game. It was like 143-142 in overtime. Uh, LeBron had a good shot at the end. And, you know, that's where the outside shooting, where I agree with, they're going to have to do a lot of work on on that outside shooting. Um, and then even with the Suns matchup, I mean, they were 10 and 28 from downtown, 35%. And Josh Hart actually started this game. 
uh, came out with 15 points. Uh, KCP had 14. He had more minutes out of the two, but he had uh, 14 points. Lance Stevenson was really the the key man in the Suns game. He had 23, 8, and 8. And then LeBron, of course, 19, 10, and 7, or 19, 7, and 10. And so um, the the wealth is being spread between these guys, and of course, you know, the they beat the young sons here, so um really not much to say about that. Um you know, even though DeAndre Ayton had a great game in that game, twenty two and eleven, um and three blocks. But I like the fact that, you know, it's gonna take time and getting that first win, getting that monkey off your back now, and you can move forward. And, you know, they're going, they're actually back at home tonight because the undefeated Nuggets are coming to town. One of five unbeaten teams left in the NBA. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about next as, um, we have Toronto pacing the East. They're five and oh, followed closely by Milwaukee, who's four and oh, and Detroit. They're three and oh, coming off a 50 point effort by Blake Griffin to defeat the 76ers. And then we, like you mentioned, we have Denver at four and oh, and the Pelicans at three and oh, and the Warriors are at four and one. So early season here, you know, most teams have played about five games total um, throughout the league. Um, your biggest surprise and maybe your biggest disappointment so far out of, you know, this first week or so, week and a half of NBA's play. Well, I love the fact that the Raptors are gelling so quickly with, um, with the addition of Kawhi Leonard and the, Coaching of Nick Nurse, I think uh, Nick Nurse he has a lot to prove coming from the Raptors development team, which won the title by the way, the one won the G League title. Uh, but you know you're replacing the coach of the year who won 59 games, um, and he's getting the job done so far. I love the fact Mike Malone's doing in Denver. Uh, being able to beat the Warriors, uh, got the Nuggets out to a four and no start, just got his extension for two more years. That's a really good team, uh, led by Jokic and Harris. And then, uh, the Pelicans have surprised me as well. I mean, this is a team that lost to Rondo. Um, Alfred Payton was supposed to be like a downgrade for, um, I mean, he's not his downgrade from Rondo, but he's really stepped his game up. And, you know, Alvin Gentry's done a great job down in, down in New Orleans, getting that team to three and oh. So there's a lot of, um, uh, great surprises. I mean, the Bucks don't really surprise me, uh, with, uh, Budenholzer as the head coach in the new arena, uh, very nice arena in Milwaukee, by the way. And, and the biggest disappointment right now, I would say that, I would say right now it would be, I would say the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics are two and two and they lost to the Orlando Magic at home uh, on top of that. And, and, um, you know, those, I don't know what's going on in Boston at the moment, but even at two and two, I mean, it's, it's just a small sample size, but, um, you know, Toronto setting the pace definitely. And and uh, Boston's followed off the pace pretty quickly. So they're in Oklahoma City tonight. The winless Thunder, one of the two winless teams 
in the NBA along with the Cavs. I don't want four. We kind of expected Cleveland to be where they are. Sorry, Tristan Thompson. Um, Russell Westbrook's supposed to be back as well. If he's not back already, I think he's back already, but um, he's definitely going to be uh, playing tonight. And and so we just have to see how how the um, rest of the games uh, fall as they go because um, right now Boston's just a little off the pace and, you know, everybody's got them pegged to – Face Golden State in the finals already, but with Toronto the way they're going, and Milwaukee the way they're going, they got to, they got some work to do. All right, this is Know the Score. I'm your host Don Delorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra Icon Dwayne, and you can find Know the Score each and every week on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and now Spotify as well. So, Dwayne, we're going to talk about a little bit of college football. As Jim Harbaugh, he had one of those prove-it games against Michigan State. And the Michigan defense, as advertised, they dominated Michigan State 21-7. to So Jim Harbaugh and Michigan, they're slowly climbing back up the poles after that um, opening game loss against Notre Dame. They're now inside the top 10. And it looks like, you know, they're going to be steamrolling right towards that game at Ohio State, and that may be the determining factor in who gets into the playoff or not. Yeah, we were... I was pretty down on Michigan to start out with, but they have really they've really um, impressed me, and and um, because they've impressed me so well, um... You know, this is one of the one of those stories that hey, we could actually see some traditional powers in this uh, college football playoffs. I mean, I mean, you think about the Notre Dame, who's undefeated still. Michigan, who's only losses the undefeated Notre Dame, and Alabama, of course, because they're Alabama, but. Is really, is really kind of like a nostalgia kind of thing. I mean, you got LSU um, still on the way of Michigan. Texas is on their heels. Georgia, Oklahoma, Florida, all there. So um, it's gonna be very, very interesting. I'll put it. I'll put it like that. Uh, the Ohio State game. We'll have to see. What Ohio State team is going to show up? The team that, the team that um, looked like they were everybody's pick two weeks ago, or the team that went to West Lafayette and got wrecked. So, um, it just had one week at a time. Uh, I know a Michigan fan who's really looking at it like that is like one game at a time, one week at a time, and just let the chips fall as they may. And and um, and it's it's really good to see uh, Jim Harbaugh finally getting what everybody thought he was supposed to do immediately. But you know you gotta go, you gotta get your guys in your system in, and it's finally paying off. Clemson, they blow out NC State 
41 to 7 in the battle of ACC unbeatens. There's a lot of buzz up here in Raleigh around this game last weekend. And uh, I tried to tell the NC State faithful, they were like, oh, you know, I think we got something for them. You know, our quarterback's really good. Our defense is okay. I think we could at least score with them. And I was like, you know, Ryan Finley is y'all's quarterback, right? Like, yeah, he plays good against the teams that aren't that good. But when he plays against a really good team, he don't play so good. And uh, that definitely was the case here. NC State got behind early, never could catch up. Clemson defense was in attack mode and uh they used a you know balanced running attack and passing from Trevor Lawrence to to just you know walk away from NC State. So uh anything that you'd like to add to that game or can we move on to LSU? Well, we'll just add this quick thing. I mean, we everybody thought I could have I could have told told folks in Raleigh too I would have been right along with you, like I mean, NC State, they've had a good start, but it's kind of like Miami. I mean, I thought Miami was going to be able to measure up to Clemson last year. And what happened? Clemson destroyed them. And then Clemson destroyed them again in the ACC title game. So, yeah, NC State, they're, they're doing okay. They have... They have, um, you know, they have a little softer schedule the rest of the way, so they should be fine. But, yeah, they're not. Clemson is on a whole other level than anybody else in the ACC, and it just showed this weekend. The LSU Tigers, they keep moving up the polls with a 19-3 win over Mississippi State. Um, dominating defensive effort. They did just enough in the offensive uh, you know, side of the ball to get another W. I think a lot of people are starting to kind of look at LSU as maybe a real contender. I know that they don't do a lot on offense. They get, pe- they get people really excited into how far they could probably go, but their defense seems to be getting better and better week by week, and we know in the SEC that can win you a lot of games. Yes, absolutely, and and uh, with both LSU and Alabama off this week, and guess who plays next Saturday? Uh, Saturday night under the lights in Death Valley is going to be Alabama and LSU. So um, LSU, this has really been they they've really relied on their defense. They really. And this, they relied on their defense from the first game against Miami. Uh, that was one thing I did notice about this team. And uh, Joe Burrow is able to get the ball down the field when he needs to on the offensive side. And so, but if the defense is on, and, you know, LSU's offense doesn't have to do too much to win because the defense has everything covered. But, you know, the offense will pick it up if they need to. That's one thing I have noticed about this team. And and uh, with both Alabama and LSU off, I mean, you get the same kind of same time to prepare. Uh, you know, when we come back next week, we'll preview this. It's going to be a fun preview. I can't wait. As you mentioned earlier, Purdue knocked off number two, Ohio State. Uh, Jeff Brom, uh, former Louisville quarterback back in the day, he coached a really aggressive game. They went for touchdowns. Uh, they went for fourth downs. 
they really, really, really brought it to that Ohio State defense. And then once they got the lead, their defense, the Purdue defense was flying around. Uh, they really made, uh, I can't ever remember this kid's name, uh, the Ohio State quarterback's last name. Haskins. Yeah, Dwight Haskins. I can't ever remember his name for some reason. Um, they really made him have his worst game that he started uh, in his career at Ohio State, his short career that he's had. They really had him confused, um, you know, pressured him a lot and uh, didn't let Ohio State's running game really be a threat. So uh, hats off to Purdue for just an awesome game plan execution by those kids and uh, a coach who coached to win and coached to go out there and take the game and not just be close in the fourth quarter like so many teams who are, you know, unranked and go against these, you know, top five teams usually try to do well. If we can do everything right and be close in the fourth quarter, maybe we'll, you know, have some good luck. Jeff Brown was like, nope, mm-mm, we finna take this. Yeah, and it was more the defense of Purdue, the run defense especially. I mean, they held Ohio State to 76 yards rushing. And... And Haskins had to literally throw the throw his arm off just to try to do something. Uh, uh, he was forty nine and seventy three for four seventy, and and um, and because of you know Ohio State being one dimensional throughout the game, um, that's what that's really what fueled the field the Boilermakers to this win. I mean, this was worse than the Iowa beating that they got last year. So, um, once again, even if Ohio State gets back and, you know, ends up going back somehow to the Big Ten title game, you know, you can't, you gotta look back at this game and be like, you cannot lose by 29 to Purdue, just like you can't lose by by 20-plus to Iowa, a bad Iowa team that year. So, uh, great, great game for Purdue, great game plan. They 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 brought it to Ohio State. And I think they got, they got exactly what they, they deserved, and that was a W, so hats off to them. And our last matchup that we'll talk about from last week will be the Washington State Cougars. They defeated Oregon 34-20. to I don't think anybody was surprised that Washington State scored 34 points, but I think a lot of people were surprised that they held Oregon to only 20. So Mike Leach has got some things rolling out there in Washington State. They're slowly moving towards the top 10. Um, they've got a big game next week that we're going to talk about coming up next, but I don't know if you got a chance to watch this. I stayed up a little late and I had to tap out right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. But uh, Washington State's defense was was uh, you know really really playing well. They were and and what I what I liked about this uh, this team is the fact that they they cover they cover up holes very very well and they don't allow. They don't allow any anything in the middle, and with this team in in the grand scheme of things, and Mike Leach is coaching, and he's finally got this program to where he is his his style, his kind of guys, and 
the results are um, paying dividends. I mean, game day ended up coming to Pullman for the first time ever. Um, and now the clues are, clues are moving up. And I think a lot of people didn't expect that to happen. So, um, and now with the, uh, Cougars at six and one, uh, they are trailing the Huskies and, you know, the Apple Cup coming up. So they might surprise people be, be that team that's going to represent in the, uh, Pac-12 North, and I can't wait to see how the rest of the season plays out. And you know, will they will they be that representative, um, or will it be their rivals uh, on the opposite side of the state? We'll talk about this week's upcoming top twenty-five matchups down in Jacksonville. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party resumes for another year as we have number nine, Florida, versus number eight, Georgia. So this is going to be an elimination game, basically, for the playoffs because both of these teams each have one loss and uh, they both are in the same side of the SEC. So whoever wins this game is going to have a leg up towards going to the SEC championship game. So, who do you see coming out on top between Florida and Georgia? Well, I want Georgia to win because, you know, I'm not a Gator fan of either veins or stretch of the imagination. Um, I, you know, Dan Wall's done a great job in Gainesville and. I think they've arrived. They arrived pretty early. They arrived earlier than I had thought, and and uh, and I think now it's going to strike midnight on the Gators. So I'm going to pick Georgia to win this matchup. Next up, we have number 18 Iowa facing off against number 17 Penn State. Penn State's hit a little lull here. Past two out of three weeks, they're trying to you know bounce back and and have a decent season. And Iowa slowly looks like they're starting to you know get some momentum behind them. So who do you see coming out victorious in this matchup? Uh, since I'm gonna go with the whole, I mean, we we saw what happened with Penn State and the whole crowd uh, with uh, Iowa against Ohio State, but. Um, I still believe in, in, um, Penn State's getting bouncing back in, getting the win. They had a good win to Indiana. I like the fact that they could, they need momentum going into the Michigan game, um, the week after. And so I'm going to go with, um, Penn State to get this W. And, uh, you know, probably eliminate Iowa from any uh, contention for the Big Ten West and uh, knocking them out. In our last top 25 matchup, number 14, Washington State, they're facing off against number 24, Stanford. So Stanford, um, you know, they went up to Notre Dame. They lost that game. I think they've lost like two out of their last three games as well. They've kind of been struggling, barely hanging on in the top 25. And then, you know, we talked about Washington State and, you know, their defense looks to be more improved than the best it's been 
since Mike Leach has been there. But this will be a really good test because, you know, Bryce Love is always a threat. And they have big guys up front who can push guys around on that Stanford offensive line. So who do you see coming out victorious in this Pac-12 showdown? Um, considering I want, I want to see Washington and Washington State battle for the not just the Apple Cup, but the Pac-12 North. I want to go with the Cougars uh, winning on the road in this one. I think they will have a formula to stop Bryce Love. And I think they'll have the uh, offense to get down the field and and um, beat the Stanford defense. Uh, my pick for this one is going to be Washington State over Stanford. I uh, really want to see how these next few weeks play out for for the um, for the Pac-12 North. Just want to let everybody know that this episode of Know the Score is being brought to you by the fine folks over at Amazon.com. Please go to CSPN.us, click the Keep Our Podcast tab, Podcast Free tab at the top of the page, and then scroll down and click on Amazon. Do your shopping as you normally would, and some of your purchase comes back here to the CSPN so we can keep Know the Score free for you each and every week. So if you're looking for last-minute costume needs or early Christmas gifts, Support your favorite podcast network before you go shopping on Amazon. Again, cspn.us. Keep our podcast free tab at the top of the page. Then click on Amazon. Do your shopping as you normally would and help support the CSPN. So we'll get to the NFL, Dwayne, our final topic this week. We've got a lot of news circling around the NFL as the Dallas Cowboys made waves when they traded a first round pick for former Raiders wideout Amari Cooper. So John Gruden has come in and taking a wrecking ball to the Oakland Raiders, traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, which a lot of people thought he got beat on for that trade. But he was like, hey, we got number one picks. Then he turns around. He's been disgruntled with Amari Cooper in his performance the last two seasons before he got there and so far this year. And so now he shipped Amari Cooper out to the Cowboys, who a lot of people were like, wow, that's pretty pricey that the Cowboys would give up a first-round pick for a guy that probably, you know, the market would probably bear out for a third-round pick or a second-round pick. So what kind of impact will Amari Cooper have on these Dallas Cowboys? I mean, he's going to have some some impact. Uh, and uh, it's just going to depend on who gets on the ball. Is that pressure out will be able to get on the ball? And... He will bolster this uh, this offense, which has been pretty standard. Twenty twenty ninth in total offense, twenty sixth in passing, and you know, can that Crescent get the ball down the field for for him? I mean, they like to run a lot of short routes or intermediate routes, and they don't really like to you know take a chance on it deep ball because because they just you know the Cowboys are just they're more run focused anyway with Ezekiel Elliott and and uh, I'm gonna have to just see what where it goes from here we'll see how how um, Cooper meshes in and and then uh, once Ezekiel meshes in We'll see if that leads to success for the Cowboys as we go into the second half of the season. 
We'll stick with some NFC East news as the New York Giants. They trade cornerback Eli Apple to the Saints. And then they also traded defensive lineman Damon Snacks Harrison to the Lions. So at one and six, it looks like the Giants are starting to kind of look towards next year, getting as many draft picks as they can because they have so many problems. They need to fix their offensive line. So that's going to take at least two to three draft picks, they're assuming. So um, there's been some rumors around that maybe Eli, because of his tenure and, and you know, the Giants may do him a, a solid and trade him to Jacksonville, re, reunite him with Tom Coughlin because, you know, Blake Bortles has had some struggles down in Jacksonville. He got benched this past week. So with all this swirling around the Giants, um, First off, uh, assess the trades, uh, how these two players help the Saints and the Lions. And then what do you think about the possibility of Eli getting traded to Jacksonville? Well, the Giants have been 4-20 since that infamous boat picture. And, and, um, and I think for Eli Apple, it's a good start for him. I'm going to a great organization that's that's uh, with one of the best teams in the NFL, the Saints. Um, he's definitely going to improve the secondary, make an immediate impact uh, down there, um, much like the Panthers did with their secondary when they signed Eric Reed. Um, and then, of course, uh, trading another um, defensive line stud um, for. We'll just have to see. As for Eli to Jacksonville, I don't see that really happening this season. Um, I mean, you do have a situation where, um, you know, quarterback play is not really all that great. Um, Cody, Cody Kessler scoring touchdowns, but we know how Blake Bortles is in, in uh, London. He sees the one. It seems to play a better game when he's there. And then uh, the fact that um, can Eli, I mean, who will Eli have the ball? Who would be throwing the ball to in Jacksonville? I mean, they do got some receivers, but do do they have a OBJ? Do they have a Shepard? No, they do not. So, um it could be reading maybe after the season is over with. But I know the Giants are going to have to move in another direction. They're going to have to get a quarterback in this draft coming up. Um, and um, I'll be I'll be rooting for all of you guys. So I'll be rooting for all of them, and, and uh, we'll just see where it happens from there. We have also reports that Patrick Peterson, he wants to get out of Arizona. Arizona, um, one of the worst teams in the league, maybe the worst team in the league right now. They've uh, they got beat bad uh, on Thursday night. This past Thursday night, forty five to ten against the Broncos, and uh, just the frustration is starting to mount for Patrick Peterson. Uh, Arizona is basically saying, "No, we're not going to trade him. Um, we're going to you know improve around him and make him still be you know focal point of our defense and." you know, the face of our franchise. 
So do you think Arizona is making a good move by not getting Patrick Peterson out while they can? I know he, he could, you know, command significant uh, value uh, for things that they can improve uh, in the future. Or do you think they're smart to just stick with them and have them, you know, ride it out and, uh, you know, see what next season brings? Well, I think Arizona's doing the right thing. Uh, they've already established the identity around uh, Patrick Peterson and, they're working on getting, you know, the identity on offense around um, Josh Rosen. Um, you know, it's growing pains for the young quarterback, and and uh, it is hard to see a team that, like, three years ago was in the NFC Championship game and fall so hard to where they are now. As for other things in the um, in terms of the uh, Peterson situation, uh, Peterson did put a statement out saying that you know even though he's been frustrated with the season, um, he's focused on being part of the solution, and turning the turning things around. So um, reports may have said he wanted out, but he made a statement that he posted to his Twitter. Twitter account saying that he intends to be a Cardinal for the years to come. Uh, continue to give his all to this organization and the fans. So, um, I think this was a smoke and mirrors. Um, Peterson has clarified the situation and we'll just have to see if, um, the Cardinals field any offers, but they already said they're not gonna. Trade uh, Patrick Peterson, especially not trading for anything. So we'll talk about some of the games from last week as the New England Patriots went up to Chicago and they survived a hail mary catch and not quite are stretching to the end zone by Kevin White to win thirty eight thirty one. Uh, this game was really strange because Mitchell Trubisky's passing numbers weren't really that good, but he made a lot of good runs and key throws in this game uh, for them to keep pace with the Patriots. They were actually leading the Patriots by uh, 10 points, and then the Patriots came down and back-to-back touched. They got a kickoff return. Bears went three and out, and then they came back down and got a long touchdown drive to kind of take control of the game. And then the Bears, you know, with that long Hail Mary there, uh, came up just short, lose by a touchdown. So, uh assess this game from the Bears standpoint. Um, we know what the Patriots are. They've scored uh, over 38, 38 points the last five games now, so they seem to be back on track. But uh, how much did the Bears impress you in this game by being able to keep up? Okay, so my whole thing in this situation, this was a wild game. And and a lot of a lot of um, points and and um, from the Bears' standpoint, you got to feel good that you hung with uh, the defending AFC champions and you played very, very well. But you kind of got to remember, you know, you still got mistakes that you made that that ultimately cost you the game. Uh, the block punt did not help matters. I think had that block punt not happened, uh, the results would have been, a whole lot different. Probably be talking about overtime or even a a hail mary victory. But um, I do like the effort that uh, White made. Your Carolina Panthers. 
as they come back from 17 points down in the fourth quarter to beat the defending Super Bowl champions 21-27. Cam Newton with two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, led three touchdown scoring drives, hit Greg Olson on the game-winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter. Um, This was a game of basically, hey, I'm watching the games, and it's like, uh, the Panthers don't look like they want to play football today. This was at like the five-minute mark of the first quarter, <laughs> and then I started watching the uh, I started watching the Patriots and the Bears, and then I turned back late to this game, and all of a sudden it's fourteen to seventeen, and the Panthers are you know in the red zone. Like, oh snap! What in the world's going on here? Yeah, yeah. I watched this whole game, man. It was excruciating to watch the first three quarters. Um, at one point, it's kind of like, is Carolina going to at least pinch, pinch the Eagles? Cause they could not get, they, they could not get past the 30 yard line or the 35. And when they had the chance for a field goal to go to make it, um, 17 to nine or 17 to three, whichever one it was. And, you know, they ended up having to punt cause they had two, False start penalties, so they were really beating themselves. Um, they learned from the week before against Washington to make some better uh, play calls and make some more timely throws because we all, you know, we all know what happened. I mean, they had three shots against Washington inside the 20, and, you know, one of those passes to McCaffrey was Missed because McCaffrey had the linebacker beat on the wheel route, and then two bad incompletions by Cam. Right, exactly, and very, very bad incompletions. So I think they learned from this. Uh, they mixed up the play calls. Uh, that fourth down, it was fourth and eleven of the thirty-five yard pass to Tory Smith. Uh, that really was the turning point. Uh, McCaffrey then gets the ball down uh, inside the five, and and then, and then the game went into Olsen. This was probably one of the biggest wins of the season. If if uh, Carolina ends up going on a good run, this is the game they're going to look at as the turning point of yeah turning point month of the season. And our final matchup that we'll talk about the Saints went up to Baltimore, and Justin Tucker did the unthinkable. He missed the extra point to tie to give the Saints a 24-23 win. Drew Brees has now officially defeated all 32 NFL teams, and he also threw for his 500th touchdown pass in this game as well. Um, This was, you know, strength on strength in this game. You know, the Ravens offense. I mean, the Ravens defense, excuse me, against the Saints offense was the marquee, uh, you know, thing that everybody was looking for in this game. And it turned out to be a really good game. The Saints battled back, got a touchdown late. Then the Ravens come back, got to get a touchdown even later. And like we said, Justin Tucker misses his first extra point in his career. And he looked like somebody played a joke on him. He he, he just could not believe he missed that kick. Yeah. Um yeah, this was uh, I'm trying to trying to find the words for this here uh, situation. 
Dustin Tucker's been automatic. And I was like, you had one job. All you had to do, I mean, you were 222 for 222. And um, I think he was horrified. I mean, his picture said it all. And and um, the Saints escaped. I mean, that's got to be one of the luckiest teams in football right now. Um, they got the W, and, and it's going to be very, very interesting. And to see where they place at the end of the season. So, uh, hats off to the Saints. They go on the, they go on the next, next week and, and, um, try to maintain their, maintain that division lead in the NFC South, uh, over the Panthers. But everybody in the NFC South, I mean, it still has a good shot. So it's not, Nobody's out of the woods. Um, we have to find ways to keep winning and and uh, moving forward. So we'll talk about the marquee matchups for this upcoming week of NFL action. As we'll start with the Ravens going against your Carolina Panthers, Dwayne. So this will be a really good test for Cam going up against this pass rush. The offensive line, we'll see how much improvement they've really done. Because we know that the Ravens are coming for your quarterback. They're blitzing out of the secondary. They do a great job of disguising what they're doing. So uh, how do you feel this will work out? Do you think the Panthers will uh, come out victorious? This game is in Charlotte, so they've got that advantage working for them. Yeah, they, they have that advantage in Charlotte. and They have the Panthers are 4-0, or 3-0 at home this season. They've won the last uh, seven or eight there in Charlotte, so... And one thing is always about the Panthers. They always are about protecting the protecting their house. So um, I, I think that it's going to be a good. Uh, it's going to be a good defensive battle on both sides of the ball. Um, I think that I, mean, I think that we'll see more. Um, we'll see more passing and. One thing that impressed me about um, Cam's performance against the Eagles, which I missed, was that he did it with his arm and not his legs. Um, that's what really makes a huge difference. But I think in this kind of game with a team that prides itself on defense, uh, run a couple of uh, misdirections and and uh, counterplays, also uh, use that read option to kind of freeze the defense too, if you need to knock out. Um, well, let me let me rephrase that. They they need that. Um, they need to probably Cam will probably need to use his legs a lot more than than usual. Uh, running McCaffrey between the tackle will be a key, and then uh, using. Uh, Curtis Samuel, Demir Bird, Jarius Wright, Torrey Smith, using these guys on screen passes. Keep that defense honest. I think that'll be the key for the Panthers to win. I think they can follow that game plan, execute it to a T, and keep that whole winning streak going. Um, you know, Baltimore is going to have to take the L on this one. Next marquee matchup, this game should be a lot of fun between the Green Bay Packers going to visit the 
Los Angeles Rams. So yeah. we expect this. Well, I don't know how many points we expect to see from the Packers because the Rams defense the last two or three games has been incredibly salty. They haven't allowed more than 20 points. And they have, you know, looked like they're kind of finding their stride after a couple of early season games where they, you know, let some teams get in the high 20s and 30s. So uh, your prediction in this game, do you think the Rams will continue to remain undefeated? I think at the end of the day, at the end of it all, the Rams will find a way to win. They've done that all season. I have no reason to think otherwise. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is still pretty banged up. So, we don't know what kind of Aaron Rodgers we're going to get uh, or in this in this matchup. So, uh, you know, right now you got to go with Sean McVay, ride that, ride that Sean Wave all the way to this offensive line and keep Jared Goff upright and allow him to light up the scoreboard along with uh, Tom Drew. Eating up chunks of yards and getting multiple touchdowns as well. In our last marquee matchup of the weekend, we will have the New Orleans Saints traveling up to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. So the you know great uh, divisional game that they these two teams played last year that came down to basically you know a, a missed tackle and a walk off touchdown for the Vikings to get them into the NFC Championship game. Uh, different quarterback for the Vikings uh, in Kirk Cousins this year. Different defense for the Vikings as well. They've been kind of struggling here early in the season. Uh, Saints looks like they're you know starting to work Ingram back into the the mix now. He's this is be his third game back from suspension. Um, defense looks like that they're you know starting to figure it out, getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback in key times. So your winner between the Saints and the Vikings. So my favorite between the Saints and Vikings, uh, since this is going to be indoors, um, I think the Saints find a way to extract revenge from the divisional playoff game against the Vikings. And uh, doing what they needed to do in order to get this W. So my pick for this one is is it going to be the Saints uh, only because improved defense, uh, better quarterback play, and the fact that they are comfortable in the indoor facility speaks volumes. All right, so we'll be looking forward to these uh, this week's games, NFL, college as well. Um, college basketball is getting ready to crank up here in another week or so, so we'll start talking about that. The uh, polls just came out. We've got your Kansas Jayhawks, Dwayne, they get the bullet. The bullseye on them first is their number one to start the season. So we'll see how that, you know, plays out. And we'll be back with uh, some college basketball talk once that season gets a little bit closer to starting. So at this point, Dwayne, I want to turn it over to you for your final thoughts and shout outs and thank yous. Uh, shout out to all the hosts and all the listeners at CSPN. Thank you for listening to know the score and I greatly appreciate it uh, my final thought will have to be about um, it's more going to be towards the wrestling world and um, you know uh, Roman Reigns uh, Joe Anoa'i uh, 
he was also a former defensive lineman at Georgia Tech. So it does kind of tie into sports. But uh, he had, he had um, his leukemia return after being in remission for 11 years. And and um, he had to relinquish his um, WWE Universal Championship. Uh, I'm saying this only because, you know, this is a very tough situation. The outpouring support, not from just Georgia Tech, his old teammates, the current AD, all the fans, you know, uh, Georgia Tech Nation. Um, it's really just a great thing to see. Uh, all that support, even as a fan, I was, I was stunned by the news. You know, that was something I wasn't expecting. And, you know, just to see, you know, somebody that's worked really hard, um, you know, and then to have a setback like this, but it's only going to make him stronger when he comes back and he beats this. So. Uh, good luck to Joe and and um, F Cancer Man for real. Yeah, it's a tough time for the whole Anoa family. Um, if you're familiar with uh, wrestling and the Wild Samoans, uh, Samu of the Head Shrinkers is also dealing with uh, his own battle with cancer. So, a uh, lot of love and support going out to uh, the Anoa family of professional wrestling, and uh, hopefully those two guys can you know, pull through and, uh, yeah, like you said, Roman can come back to the ring and continue his career. Um, promising young, um, guy who has a lot of respect from everybody in the locker room, considered one of the locker room leaders and one of the guys that they follow, um, his lead in WWE. So it's a big loss for them internally and, uh, for all the fans and everybody as well. So good luck to him in his battle. And, uh, we look forward to seeing him coming back on our TVs real, real soon. My final thought of the week will be with the Washington football team. Um, though they try as they might, they have won two in a row. They have um, gotten some good luck, some good fortune. They haven't been playing the kind of offensive football that we've gotten used to the past couple of years with uh, the old quarterback that we had. But we uh, picked up an old running back, and he's showing us that he's still got some gas left in Adrian Peterson. And he's really been the catalyst to our four wins this year. Like I told you last week on the show when I was previewing the matchup, if you saw Adrian Peterson more on the field than you did Zeke, then that was a good sign for the Washington football team. Adrian Peterson had 99 yards rushing. I think Zeke had around 33 to 35. So um, just a big ups to the Washington football team. Big up to their front office because they went out and they drafted Deron Payne and it showed me that they were very serious about, you know, improving on the defensive side and improving their defensive line to get better and not go for another offensive piece or, or something that, you know, uh, a running back before we got somebody on the defensive line. So Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis and the linebacking core have really transformed the running defense. Um, we haven't allowed anybody to have an individual running back to get over 70 yards yet this season. So um, that's a big reason for the improvement of the Washington football team. Alex Smith is still a work in progress. Hopefully he can, you know, him and Jay Gruden can work some things out and he can become comfortable and we can start moving the ball through the air as well as we've been moving it through the ground to get some balance 
and we can maybe spare Adrian Peterson some of these carries once we get Chris Thompson back. But um, I'm really impressed. This is their trap game. They've won two in a row. Now they go up against a listless, lifeless Giants team who've traded away two starters on defense. So on the road, so they're going to have to come ready to play. Hopefully they can, you know, handle business, jump on the Giants early, you know, basically make them quit and, uh, you know, continue to use that good defense and, and running game to uh, get wins in the NFL and, and see what this season can bring. If they keep up with that formula, they play the Texans and they play the Falcons. And those are the only two teams that they really have to try to keep up with as far as scoring. But everybody else, they can just play solid running defense, run the ball, and don't turn it over. And they could be uh, in the playoffs when it comes down to the end of the season. So good stuff from the Washington football team. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.